interfacing with the Matrix. The all-spark that links everyone and everything that ever lived or ever will live. Welcome to the Axon Archives, the highest rated Beast Era podcast on Apple Podcasts, where we, wa- where we used to watch every episode of the 90s CG cartoon Beast Machines, and we have watched. Uh, I'm, I'm Daoud. I'm James. And this, uh, this episode, we're going all the way back to the beginning. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, so, good. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, like, well, I was going to say, like, the reason we go back, or is that what you were about to say? Yeah. So, uh, this is, uh, bonus episode 12. Uh, we're covering all three parts of. The 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 first three episodes of G one more than meets the eye. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Which is a uh, attack. Of course, the show like the famous tagline for the series, and weirdly, what and one that they use for an IDW comic series weirdly have not used for a TV show. They like they prefer to use like robots in disguise when they do that. Yeah, um, I think most people when like refer to the G I refer to this series either as G one or. Uh, just a delineated. I think just called more than meets the eye in order to. Wait, was this was this supposed to be a miniseries originally? I think so. Like, it's definitely has a uh, a lot of like pilot type stuff, like things that only ever happen in these. Like, well, that we'll too. Over... But just going over, just going by narration, it sounded like going into episode three. The narrator's like in the in the finale of the of tr- the Transformers. Yeah, and it technically ends with the it tends with the conclusion and a to be continued stinger. Yeah. Uh, all right, so uh, let me just get into the air uh, the air date, and we'll do a little catch up here. Uh, so this aired. Hmm? Yep. Yeah, actually, weirdly, a day off from where we are. A day before when we were actually recording this. Yeah. Uh, that was weird. My recording stopped. I started it back up though. Yeah. Also, I am. Also, I am like slightly older than this show since I was born in January of nineteen eighty four. Um. All right. So you mentioned you actually did some stuff in the in the intervening time. Uh. Yeah. I actually went on vacation to Chicago. Uh. Primarily. Uh. Pos- partially to visit uh family and also to visit friends. 
Uh, I have like a uh, group of internet friends that we've been like hanging out in a Discord around the uh, gaming blog Tiny Cartridge, which we'd already joke about like forming our own convention, and we ended up doing that kinda. Mm. So uh, we ended up like getting like a, a hotel room, like like uh, with like in a conference room, playing a bunch of games, giving a bunch of like tiny talks, which are like five minute uh, TED talks that get said about stuff like how uh, uh, like about like your people's cats. Or like how the Pokemon sizes make no sense, and also how there should be like how should we make more zines? It was very fun. It's the sort of thing like if you ever like have like a group of online friends and like you probably talked about like oh we should try to meet up all in real life and never actually do it. Like it's worth actually doing if you can pull it off. Mm. It helps if you have like like some people in the group that are super well organized and willing to like call around hotels and actually like shop for you <laughs> instead. That helps doing instead of just saying, "Oh, theoretically, we should do this." Mm. Yeah, I uh, like uh, starting in a year or two, I'll actually have summers off, like, but uh, still be on salary. Uh, so I like I have been making like tenured plans in my head of like where in the country I have to go to meet, meet all my online friends. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely helps that we also like to talk them and like kind of do a centralized thing because like we're all, like obviously spread out in the country. Mm-hmm. We did the research and decided to do Chicago. Like, obviously, we could, there were, like, other places. Like, I think we also looked at Seattle or Austin. Just uh, have everyone meet in um, Lebanon, Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's central, and I am sure that hotels are not very expensive there. Yeah. Uh, plus, there's, there's, there's some... Uh, being in the geographic center of the U.S., I'm sure there's something to see there. Uh, yeah. At the very least, I'm sure they have, like, a marker for the, in the exact middle of the town where you can be the exact center. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I'm actually I actually talked myself into just going to Lebanon, Kansas for no reason now. <laughs> <laughs> so, doubt uh, anything exciting going on? Or have you been uh, j- uh, aside from like doing teaching? Um, not really. Um, and yeah, not, not a lot has been happening. Uh, that because the the teaching and classes of my own kind of goes from about six in the morning till uh, well, with my commute till about seven or. Five is about six o'clock. Uh, by the time I get mm-hmm. home on some days, other days it's uh, I, I get home at like eight or eight thirty. So mm-hmm. yeah, days days kind of packed. Um, I've been, although I'm kind of like you, you might have noticed, like I'm one of those people who, uh, kind of just makes friends. Uh, mm-hmm. so I've so I've kind of just did that with a lot of my cohorts. Uh, so on the on. On the downside, my my uh, schedule has been very packed recently. On the other, on the good, on the upside, though, uh, I have like forced people to be my friends uh, who are in the program with me. <laughs> I think that is help. It makes like work goes by a bit easier when you can like talk to people. Yeah, I, I, we're all in the same boat, so it's we uh, I, helping one one way to really stress for all of us is to just unload on each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Also, like I, I like I said, my schedule has been packed. I have I, we, as far as the listeners go, uh, the last episode to drop was the first part of the three part finale. Yeah. yeah, no, you've been busy, and we've also been not busy recording because we keep screwing up. We kept uh, screwing up recording dates. Yeah, uh, and when I say we, I mean largely me. I mean that first time I was kind of happy because uh, mm-hmm. that we didn't record because, as I said to you, I was stuck in about an hour and a half of traffic. Uh, and I was uh-huh. like, I'm not in a mood to record anyway. That's fine. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
but yeah, other than, uh, let me, was there been anything else? Uh, no, I, don't, I, I feel like there's, there's some stuff that happened, but it's not really worth mentioning. I can't really think of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. so let me, uh, let's get into the episode, I guess, then, huh? Yep. All right. Uh, over here. Oh, I, I think we forgot to mention that this episode was written by uh, George Arthur Bloom, who wrote all parts of these pilots, who has worked on many other TV shows, including uh, Gem, My Little Pony, and My Little Magic School Bus, but never, but never more than this one. But never, never came back to Transformers beyond this. Yeah. Also, um, I'm not sure how many people will actually know this show, but Bucky O'Hare. I actually do know that. Yeah, one. um like I, yeah, I imagine you would, but if you if you don't know who Bucky O'Hare is, just go watch the death battle of him versus Star Fox. Yeah. <laughs> Originally created by uh comic creator Larry Hama, who's also largely responsible for uh most of the backstories for G.I. Joe, which is our uh, Transformers connection. Cool. Uh oh, he actually won a daytime Emmy or George Arthur Bloom uh won a daytime Emmy for his work on Cybertrace, which he he was the head writer for. Huh, okay. Yeah. Uh, and if you don't know what Cyberchase is, imagine a kids' TV show teaching kids about computers with uh, basically a robot cyber version of Iago as your helper, mm-hmm. and Christopher Lloyd is the bad guy. <laughs> did I sell you? That, that actually, yeah, did I sell you on the series? So yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, well, not only is it a cyber robot version of Iago, it's actually voiced by Gilbert Gottfried. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Uh, is uh. Bloom's credits go all the way back to 1967. And yeah, and he worked on a bunch of those celebrity roasts with Dean Martin back in the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, did I didn't get any director information for these episodes? Did you? Yeah, I imagine. I wonder. Like, it was animated by Toei, and I wonder if, like, they if they just got like a finished script and they did and they animated it entirely and that would explain they did, and they some did stuff. Get, actually, you're right. Uh huh. Uh, all right. Yeah, so, uh, we were pretty, we were pretty light on, like, like, even though there were, like, the animation was kind of dated in, in, in some parts of the shows we watching, especially Beast Wars, we were generally kind of light on the animation errors, except for, like, especially egregious ones, like, you know, how, using the wrong rat trap metal during the big goodbye scene of Code of Hero. Or, uh, uh, or, uh, Mega, or Dinobot standing on lava. Yeah. Uh, this one, not so much. This is, this is from the 80s, which means it was, in like, this is from the area of, like, animators, like, not really given a crap sometime, as there will be several, like, really blatant animation errors, which I'll point out as we get to. Yeah, like, you're, you're in contracts work, you know, the triangle of, like, services, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, back in the day, they wanted fast and cheap, so that's what they got. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, so I actually had a fun intro for this, uh, I want to read that. Okay, so. Long ago, the two factions lived in harmon- lived together in harmony, and everything changed when the Decepticons attacked. Only the Prime, mm-hmm. master of the Matrix of Leadership, could stop them. But when Cybertron needed him most, he was struck down. Millions of years passed, and a new Prime discovered his destiny. An archivist named Orion Pax was chosen by Primus to become Optimus Prime. Uh, but seriously, the war devastated the planet and drained its resources. Yep. <laughs> um, I... Even though most of that's not actually canon to the G1 continuity, it's it's my head canon. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Also, it's later retcon to be for, to be true, anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. All right. So we start off with uh, Wheeljack and Bumblebee. Uh. Which, well, I thought they found Energon tubes, but apparently they're just connectors or something. 
They said like there are some energy conductors. Conductors, right? Whatever those things are, whatever that's supposed to be. They they found wiring basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they find wiring. They they head back to Icon. Uh, uh, but some seekers see them on the way. Um, uh, I guess living up to their name. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, they. Yeah. <laughs> not the ones you think they are. Not not the ones you think they are either. What? As uh, we get ones as uh, the initial ones, they have seekers that are initially they show Star Star Scream, Skywarp, and Thundercracker, but then they also, but then they then the shot changes and we have a purple one with a flamethrower, a golden yellow one, and a rich blue one, and a dark navy one. So uh, already going up on, so already like quality values. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean. It's not- yeah, the seekers—they're—they're they're all color swap, uh, color palette swaps of of Starscream, uh, which I have to hand it to them. They the uh, Hasbro got really good mileage out of doing that with the toys. Very true. Yeah, uh, they—they're able to sneak past the blockade, although Bumblebee does get shot. Uh-huh. Uh He's also like—he's small enough to fit in that in Wheeljack's vehicle mode. We should mention. Yeah. Which is for perhaps the first of many sales uh, scale issues. Like their character, like Wheeljack's not that much taller than Bumblebee when they're side by side. But he turns into a vehicle that's big and also wide enough. Because uh, if you're familiar with Bumblebee turning into a Volkswagen Bug, this is on Cybertron, so he has a Cybertron form of like a weird hover thing. Imagine like a, a scaled down version of the Ark with uh, some mm-hmm. with some fins. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, so it's extra wide, but it's still able to fight in. And of course, in another trend, like, Wheeljack's after he's heard, he says, like, I think it's my rear axle, which is a reported thing of just, like, referring to car parts that presumably they have, although, again, he's a hover vehicle. He doesn't even have an axle at that point. But, um, so I, I use the, I've been using Doctor Who logic for this, uh, in the sense that they're speaking Cybertronian and uh, the TV's just translating it for us. <laughs> You're being way more generous than I am. <laughs> well, we have to, or else there's going to be a lot of stuff in this episode yeah, that yeah. don't make sense. Yeah, as I said, I'm only going to point out like the real glaring ones when they happen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to go through the entire art, uh, animation, and technical errors page, which is quite considerable for even any one of the episodes. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. So they may, so uh, Wheeljack and Bumblebee make it back. Uh, sound waves outside their uh, outside the base. He sends in laser beak to spy on them. Oh, oh, uh, you, you're almost you can't. Where I was like, so what is so what would you describe sound waves like pre or cyber uh cyber alt mode lamppost? Yep, <laughs> <laughs> which I, I choose is not his actual alt mode, it's just him like slightly disguise, just changing the shape and disguising himself. Uh, yeah, like it, it would make much more sense in the Michael Bay universe, uh, like in like the movie, the live action movie universe, where they're going to be much more willing to like take on new forms. But in like Gen One, where they're just like, "Yep, this is what we are forever," it seems like a very odd choice. Well, if I can tie this into Super Sentai for a second, all right. <laughs> uh, one of the tropes we're used to for Power Rangers is is the Morpher, right? So right. Back in the day, there the, before the Morpher was a concept. They, uh, the, the rangers transformed by getting to these basically glass coffins in their ship and then, uh, mm-hmm. like, coming out. They're basically, like, bombarded with transformation rays. 
Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that's kind of the thing. He, uh, they don't have portable uh, scanners to find an alt mode. So because mm-hmm. uh, they don't have it on board, they can only change. It's a big big hassle to go through to change alt forms. Yeah, yeah, we wouldn't get that until uh, Beast Machines. Yeah. Oh yeah, I suppose like you're right. It's a little bit less of a hassle in Beast Wars, but you're right. They still not on board. They probably scanned a, a new uh, a new form, but just not change themselves. Yeah. Anywho, so yeah, he turned. Yeah, the the point that I wanted to bring up is like, yeah, Soundwave transforms into a lamppost in in the uh, on Cybertron. Theme. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, Jazz comes back to base, and unlike the movies where Jazz is a jive talk uh, jive talking street kid, uh, he's just a blues singer in this, which kind of fits his name better. Yeah, I mean he's still voiced by uh, Scatman Crothers, yeah. but he is. But particularly throughout this pilot, he's played much more as like Prime Second in Command, which I thought was Ironhide. Uh, Ironhide's kind of, kind of more of that in the series, okay. or at least like he's like he's always portrayed as the old veteran. Oh, okay, yeah. that fits with his name. Yeah. Then, yeah, yeah. It also probably is a bit confusing to people who've like who've like read the IDW comics who think like, wait, what about Prowl? Like, like here's the thing. Prowl is in Generation 1. He does not have a lot of personality. Go watch Chris McKeeley's, like, uh, basics on Prowl for more information on that. Yeah. Uh, so Optimus says, okay, we're, uh, we can't find any more Energon. We need a new source of energy, or we're all dead. So mm-hmm. they decide to launch the Ark. Uh, cut, the, cut the Megatron, which I'm assuming this is in K-On, but tech, that's on the other yeah. side of the planet from Icon. Yeah. I don't know if Kaon's actually been created as an idea yet, but we we can we can apply we, that data here retroactively. Uh, we we can jump the timeline. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so they they decide uh, they've already got a ship ready too uh, because they're gonna uh, try to get to whatever energy source uh, first. Mm-hmm. Although instead of just going out and finding their own, they decided to you know take out the Autobots and just steal whatever source they're going after. Yeah, as they board to what will retroactively be named the Nemesis. Yes. Uh, oh, before they leave, uh, Megatron does leave Shockwave in, in charge. Yes. It says, you, this is like, like Cybertron, when you're in fear or not, Megatron, Cybertron will remain as you leave it, which is an extremely accurate statement. <laughs> it's like, not, like, literally nothing will change on Cybertron in between like now when they land on Earth and when they actually wake up. You know, I also, uh, being used to Shockwave being voiced by David Sobolov, it was really weird to hear him talk. Uh-huh. Uh, just because, like, he has a very, um, he's Alfred Prennyworth, basically, in this. Well, kind of more accurate than you think. Like, he's being voiced by a, by a veteran voice actor, Corey Burton, uh. who is doing a uh, David Warner impression. Huh. Uh, who... Corey Burton, who will later actually go on to uh, to voice Megatron in animated, yeah, and also is actually like one of the most versatile voice actors in Hollywood. Oh yeah, no, he like he doesn't get talked about as much, but he does a lot. He also like definitely not the only character, or perhaps even the most notable character he's gonna vo- he voices in this show, since he's also gonna vo- be voicing Spike. Oh, okay, boarding issues. Uh-oh, are you freezing? Oh, no! Oh, you're right, you're back! 
Oh, and of course, almost forgot. We can't forget that this is the first time we have, first of many, many times, Starscream uh, insists that the war would be over if he was leading the Decepticons. Oh yeah, no, I, I have this note repeatedly. Uh, Starscream is being openly tre- tre- uh, treasonous. Yeah, if you were doing a drinking game, you could do, you could do drink to that, but you would probably die of alcohol poisoning. <laughs> Uh, the, the arc launches. The Nemesis is not far behind. Uh, somehow they didn't uh, like realize two asteroids were going to collide right in front of the arc before they left. Yeah, this is kind of a weird plot. Like it, uh, like weirdly, it like there the uh, co- Transformers comic, which came out a bit before this, to, like as a similar plot. But in that one, it kind of it, it makes more sense. Where in that one. Fighting from Cybertron has caused it come to come boost of its orbit, and it's like floating rogue throughout the galaxy, and it's approaching an asteroid field. So the Autobots actually get out to like clear a path for Cybertron. So like it feels like they half did that, but then like like they got notes on that, and then but decided to change it. I'm gonna be honest; that's a little convoluted. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the, the asteroids collide, which creates a meteor shower. Uh, which both ships are getting hit by. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ironhide uses the laser guns to clear a path, but that all that also makes it easier for the Ark to detect the Nemesis. Uh-huh. Uh, and then, uh, but then Nemesis, uh, the Ark can't get away because it's bigger than Nemesis, mm-hmm. uh, and actually gets caught in the tractor beams and and gets boarded by the Decepticons. Mm-hmm. Uh, the they they all fight. They get, then get caught in Earth's gravity well. Which my note is, uh, well, that was a short trip. Uh-huh. Yeah, which I guess it's a rogue planet. So I guess, uh, well, okay, we can, we can probably, if we accept the continuity that it's a rogue planet, that yeah. that makes sense, though. Well, yeah, except I think in like other, like later on series, it'll just establish it outside of the solar system in a nebulous sense. That, that could mean anything. I know. <laughs> Isn't that convenient that it could mean anything? Yeah, well, in this show, doesn't it later like end up in the same solar system? Like, cause he yeah, just uh, yeah, during in. like the ult- during a, a multi-part episode called the Ultimate Doom, like they use a uh, ray to transport, so it's like with it, like basically by Earth, and it's destroying Earth because it's like in its gravity well, essentially. Mm-hmm. That is much later. Yeah. Uh, I, having bits and pieces of G one continuity in my head is like I don't know if that's good or bad for this. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, they, they crash into what will become uh, Mount St. Hillary, mm-hmm. uh, and four million years pass till Tran-1 comes back online after an, ex- after an eruption and starts repairing the bot. Unfortunately, the Decepticons who were revived first and they escape. Yeah, I think, like, later media, including, like, several com- coloring books, will specify that, uh, basically, Teletran-1's IFF chip was damaged, and that's why it brings back the Decepticons and the Autobots. Uh, IFF, I'm sorry, I'm sure that, uh, the friend is in there, right? Uh, sorry, yeah, yeah, like, identify friend or foe. I guess it's a bit... Oh, okay. Basically, it can't tell them apart. Yeah, uh, well, I figured it was a friend or foe thing. I was trying to remember what Sentinels, the name for Sentinels thing had for that. Right. Uh, I think it just called the friend or foe protocol. Yeah. Uh, I miss Sentinel. Mm-hmm. I like him. I... Oh, uh, okay, so, uh, after Megatron dispatches the Decepticons to gather resources, uh, both to return to Cybertron and to finish the war, uh, Starscream decides to be petty and collapses a cliff on, on the Ark, 
which knocks Optimus into the path of the beam, mm-hmm. and uh, so he f- uh, repairs the rest of the Autobots. Yep. Um, also, like cheesy eighties cartoon trope number uh, number five billion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Once he gets repaired, he, he stands up, gives Teletran a thumbs up, and just says thanks. Yeah, they cut the commercial. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so uh, the Autobots try to locate uh, the Tepticons, Hound, and Cliff Jumper f- uh, go out. Uh, and, uh, uh, what is it? Soundwave, uh, sends Rumble to go with Starscream to get resources for, uh, a base of operations. Yeah. Uh, and Starscream is, of course, like, complaining to Rumble, who apparently agrees with him. Mm-hmm. It sounds like Rumble agrees with him, but just thinks Megatron's too powerful to take down. Uh-huh. Uh, we should, re- oh, um, for those who don't know, like, me before watching this episode... Rumble is one of Soundwave's cassettes. Yes. He is the blue one, unless he's the red one. But let's, but that, we're not going into that. R- Rumble's the sound-shaped one, or the man-shaped one. Well, no, because there's also Frenzy is the, is the problem. All right. Okay, infamous, and, all right, I'll, now that I mentioned. <laughs> like, so Rumble and Frenzy are both Soundwave's cassettes. In the toy, and every, and like, everything except the cartoon, Rumble is red, Frenzy is blue. In the show, even though it's, I think it's even in the show Bible, they got the color swap so that Rumble is blue and Frenzy is red. So mm-hmm. it is a long source of fan consternation. And there's even like uh, acronyms for it. Okay, so there's there's Rumble, Ravage, Laser Beak. Right. Um, doesn't he have a lion one or or is that um... uh, Blaster has the lion one. Okay. He also has a uh, Ratbat, uh, Buzzsaw, who is a recolor of Laser Beak, who I don't think actually shows up in the cartoon. Okay. Uh, no, but just Soundwave. Oh, so yeah, yeah. he has what four or five then? Ish. Like I mean, there's a couple other ones that do. Like he gets some new ones in season three, uh-huh. and then there are ones that don't get quite as much play in the show, but do exist. Okay. But yeah, yeah. Uh, for the purposes of this, like Rumble is the blue one. Frenzy doesn't even show up in this one, so it doesn't matter. But still, I couldn't. I, yeah. I had to mention that. Yeah, um, and the reason why he's called Rumble is because he's got some pile drivers, uh, which he uses to cause a, yeah. uh, earthquakes and a tidal wave later. He also kind of talks like he's like a 1950s greaser bit, because he's supposed to be a punk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, which is very much on display when he's talking to Starscream, actually. Yeah. Oh. Uh, so, Hound and uh, Cliffjumper find the cons and he overhear their plan. Cliffjumper gets a little overzealous and tries to grassy Noel Megatron. Yeah, <laughs> but misses. Perhaps, uh, we should also describe them. Hound, it, he transforms into, into a jeep. Mm-hmm. He is like if you're familiar with Gen One and you associate Bumblebee as being the kid character, he actually isn't. Like he does, like he is a part of these fights, but doesn't have a major role in, in like a lot of it. Like Hound ends up being kind of the kid friendly character, particularly when Sp- after Spike shows up. Mm. Cliff Jumper is a red mini car, similar to Bumblebee, and is like voiced by Casey Kasem. And, uh, basically, while he never jumps a cliff, another, another old meme, he definitely jumps to conclusions, and he, yeah, and he pulls up a big old honking cannon to trip, yeah, try and shoot Megatron. Yeah. Uh, actually, so, cutting to, cutting ahead a little bit, actually, just as you said, he never jumps a cliff, uh, the, he misses, but, and then, uh, Laser B gets sent out to, to fight, to get them, uh, Hound, Ends up driving off a cliff, which my <laughs> I didn't realize that was a trope, but I actually put that in my notes. Ironically, Cliff Jumper didn't cl- jump off a cliff. Yep. 
That's false advertising. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, uh, some humans find a wreckage. What, what? This is the city that Starscream went to, right? It's supposed to be, look, I don't think it's a city. I think it's like a power converter. It, it's weird. Like, I mean, like, you see power stations around, but they're usually around, like, civilization instead of being out in the desert. Most mm-hmm. of these episodes take place in, what, the desert. Which always kind of confused me. I'm, I was just like, is this supposed to be in the Badlands? But, like, all, like, if it's also, but, like, the mountain is based on Mount St. Helens, like, that is not there. That is not what Mount, the, the reason around, like, Mount St. Helens looks like. The sense of place in this show is very confusing. I imagine part of it, if we must be honest, is, like, uh, it's easier to draw backgrounds that are just, like, Badlands instead of, like, trees and stuff. Actually, yeah, living on living on the West Coast and like probably a few hours away from where St. Helens would be, mm-hmm. uh, there's not really much desert in like either of those states, I think. Yeah. Uh, there's plenty of mountains, though. Yeah. I assume like that where there might have also been, a, if I want to be a bit more generous to the writers, it's probably also say, well, why did no one discover it's like, oh, it's out in the, like, who's going to go investigate a volcano in the middle of the desert? A volcanologist? <laughs> That's just me being snarky. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, okay, it, Power Station makes more sense, also yeah. fits with what was drawn on the, pay, on the, on the screen. Right. Uh, so, they actually get, uh, attacked by Ravage, I think it's the first time we see him, right? Yeah. So, uh, back at the Autobot base, uh, Jazz gets sent out with a bunch of troops, and he calls Roll, so we know who everyone is. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, the cons, uh, find an oil refinery. Drilling platform or something like that. Oh, there's oil here. Yeah, it's an oil. Uh, it's an offshore yeah, it's oil an o- rig. Yeah, uh, and this is where we meet the Witwickies, uh, who thankfully Sparkplug. Anytime before Sparkplug's name is said, uh, he's always with Spike. Uh, so I just refer to them as the Witwickies whenever they're together. I mean, that works. I couldn't remember because I couldn't remember Sparkplug's name until I said it. <laughs> because it's dumb. Why is he named Sparkplug? Holy crap, yeah. apparently Sparkplug's voiced by Chris Lotta? I never knew that. Oh, cool. Yeah, Chris, uh, obviously Chris Lotta more notably for being the voice of uh, Starscream in this show. Hilariously. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, different iterations of Starscream like, are, are kind of different, but honestly, the G1 Starscream is just hilarious every time he talks. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, okay, later when he's um, testing out the Energon cubes, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. when he reminds me of, uh, so I've been playing the, um, how to train your dragon, uh, Facebook game mm-hmm. and which ha- has a quote unquote storyline in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not loud dad. Every time they're like, Oh, we need more room for the resources instead of, you know, expanding the fish basin or whatever. What he usually does is he's, he uses it up mm-hmm. to make room. Yeah. So like, he'll. I'm just like, oh, that's that's spite loud right there. Yeah. Yeah, idiot. Anyways, um <laughs> so the Decepticons take over the oil rig uh and start using the oil to make Energon and mm. plan to suck Earth dry. This is where my first my note cam- comes up that I mentioned. Um Well first of all, they use oil to make Energon. Yes, I know what I just said. Yes. Uh, go with it. But the other question is, um if the Decepticons can convert oil into energon, mm-hmm. and uh, oil is made from like uh, compacted plant matter that was never properly decomposed. Mm-hmm. Does that mean they could hypothetically convert living matter into energon? 
Maybe? I Surprisingly, I don't know if that's an, an, a concept that's ever been explored in any Transformer fiction. I might be wrong, but it's not yeah. jumping to me right now. Uh, yeah, I'm not really expecting an answer because there's a lot of pilot logic in this in these episodes. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, oil is, while it may not be living anymore, it, it technically once was alive. Yeah. To describe what actually happens, so basically, like, Soundwave puts out a bunch of, like, trans, like, cubes out of his chest, and then they pour the oil into it, so the cubes fill up with it, and then they compress it, and it gives it this, like, glowy, glowy effect. Is very iconic in the show, but doesn't. But it also like very much like this doesn't actually explain what's going on. No, uh, the short version is they can use it as a fuel source. Yeah, that's all you need to know. Yeah, this is basically uh, usually how they give it. They'll like stick it onto like a power turbine or something. Yeah, and like it's it's very nebulous how they make energy on cube. Just know that that's how they do that. Yeah. Um, also. Also, one of the things that Beast Force changed, the Beast era as a total, uh, changed about the franchise is the fact that uh, Energon has a more standardized form. Mm-hmm. Um, usually either purple, crystalline, or, or, or cubes, or blue. Yeah. Depending if it's been, if it's been refined or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, the, the back of the oil rig, uh, the Autobots fly in and a battle ensues. Uh, mm-hmm. Megatron destroys the drawing pl- I know I'm skipping over a lot, but uh, he destroys the drawing platform and the humans are trapped. Yeah. Uh, Optimus tries to help, but it isn't strong enough, and that's where episode one ends. Yep. Uh, so part two, Trailbreaker and Wheeljack uh, try to put the fire out. Uh, by the way, I really appreciate them saying everyone's names so we can keep everything straight. Oh yeah, they gotta gotta make sure you know to get those toys. Yeah. Uh, even if I don't remember what they look like, at least I keep kept straight during my notes. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, Optimus makes unofficial first contact with the Witwickies, uh, and uh, Spike apparently doesn't believe the Autobots are aliens when he's journaling, because uh, he says, uh, I don't know if they're from the past or the future. I'm like, they just said they're aliens. Yeah, Spike <laughs> is not a very smart boy, as we'll sh- shortly uh, see. Like, well, going back to the movie, his son isn't super smart either. Yeah. Which I feel a little weird negging on a kid, but still. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, he he thinks they're just intelligent robots. Uh, he finds a small tape player outside of the the cave that the Autobots set up base in, uh, and takes it inside. Uh, he asks Hound like how they transform. Mm-hmm. Did he not see them transform before? I guess not. Okay. Oh, sorry. Did you mention um, that like he takes like. So he turns into a micro cassette and he takes it inside the base. And he's like, "Oh, cool! This someone left this on a rock in the middle of the desert." Because <laughs> that's very important. Uh, to be fair to Spike, Hound didn't tell him that they transform as dis- in order to disguise themselves. Yeah, or else, uh, giving him the benefit of the doubt, he might have realized. He might have at least thought to check. Yeah, this also might be the earliest example of, like, a robot in disguise technically being compromised because a faction symbol is there, but no one really notices. A faction symbol based on his face. Right. Yeah. Oh, also, more pilot logic I forgot to mention. Um, all the Autobots and all the Decepticons can fly Superman-style. Yep. Yeah, that, I'm, please tell me that's not a thing past this third episode. No. Okay. No, like, like, we're, like, well, okay, half. Like, all Decept- like after the pilots, all Decepticons can fly, 
regardless of what mode that they're in, but Autobots can't unless they unless they're like have a flying mode, like like uh, the Wait, aerial bots e- or e- even so. You're telling me Megatron can fly in robot mode? Oh yes. Okay, fine. Okay. Uh, this is fine. <laughs> yeah, later shows would be a bit more consistent about that. This is not one of them. I mean, okay, them flying, fine. They're right. flying Superman style. <laughs> Would you rather Megatron turn into a pistol and flu? <laughs> oh, if only. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, his uh, his jet mode from like, mm-hmm. like, I think the movie from 2007 onwards, I think it makes a little more sense. Yes. Um. Also. I'm not sure if this was intentional or not, but it appears that uh, the Autobots and Decepticons can sort of temporarily refigure their hands into weapons or tools. Yes. Which I, I feel like in <clears throat> if Transformers as a concept was created uh, closer to modern day, mm-hmm. they would have the ability to sort of just reconfigure small parts of themselves in, uh, for tool use. Yeah, I mean, like, they kind of do parts of that in, like, the Bay movies, but in this one, it's usually just, like, their hand pulls inside their arm, and then another thing comes out. Yeah. Um, okay, this is gonna be a really obscure reference. Uh, there was a show on Fox Kids back in, like, 2001, 2002, mm-hmm. uh, called Galador, uh, Defenders of the Outer Dimension. Mm-hmm. Do you know anything about it? I remember it being promos, but I don't remember watching. Okay, so I actually ended up watching the entire series, and the only reason it was canceled is because Fox Kids ended. I want right. this on the record because the star of the show actually wants to do a revival, but he can't. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, so in in there is this thing called um, what's it called? I think it called it wasn't glitching. It might have been. It was something like glitching, uh, but mm-hmm. they could kind of do that, or at least mm-hmm. the main character could do that. Yeah. That was his superpower. And I'm just like, I want that in Transformers. It makes it, like, they're advanced alien robots. You can put that in there as a concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, like, he, like, he was human. He was, Well, technically he was half human, but he was outwardly appearing human, and he could sort of do that. He could transform a limb or something into uh, uh, into a tool. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of like the X-Man Forge, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just to get a concept of that. Right. All right, so um, enough of my tirade about a show that's almost 20 years old now. Mm-hmm. Well, Let's we're talk about a show that's... that's 30 years old now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. More than that, actually, yes. now. Yeah. All right, so um, uh, Spike asked Hound like how they transform. Uh, they all show him. Uh, oh, and they go uh, riding out on the, the dunes. Like, uh, which I guess we get, like, one of, uh, Hound's characters, which I actually forget if he has other pilot, but it's a thing that's in his tech spec, where he actually likes being on Earth, like, he actually likes, like, Seven Autobots don't like being there, in particular Mirage, which will be a plot point later, but Hound actually likes being about nature. Oh, yeah, uh, earlier when he went out with Cliffjumper, he actually did mention how, how beautiful the desert is, hmm? and Cliff, Cliffjumper told him not to get too nostalgic, uh, to fall to fall in love with it because they're not going to be there long. Uh-huh. Uh, so Mirage actually shows off that he can go invisible. Uh-huh. Since mentioning Mirage, um, 
Hound takes them out for a joyride, but then when they come back, Spike catches Soundwave and Rabbit's downloading data from on, on the Earth. And because <laughs> of his size relative to the Autobots, has to, like, jump up a couple times to yeah. hit the alarm button. Yep. <laughs> at, at least in in Prime, we, because they're in an, uh, a decommissioned, uh, some kind of military base, huh. uh, which I believe included a missile silo. Mm-hmm. There were platforms ba- built in so that the human could actually operate stuff. Right. Uh, the Autobots catch or catch Ravage as they're trying to get out. Yeah. Uh, but Soundwave makes it back, and they learn of Sherman Dam. Mm-hmm. Ah, which this will have to this will have to go into a bit more detail since this is ends up being weirdly one of the more iconic mo- parts of this pilot. Hmm. Oh yeah, sorry. So Sherman Dam. Basically, uh, they give some. They say they get. They find out the output, and Starscream says, "Oh wait, that's too low. We can't do it." I don't remember the number. It's irrelevant to this. Yeah. But Megatron has a plan where he is going to have Rumble go into the river and use his pile drives to, create, to whip up, and according to his words, a tidal wave to generate more energy to go through the electric dam. Which I'm not sure if that's how dams work. I don't know if this in the show knows that's how dams work. I mean, they have, like, turb. I mean, they're powered by, like, water going through turbines, yes, but I feel like there's an upper limit. There, There is, actually. So, uh, I I think the power where I live is actually generated from a, uh, from a dam, and there's, uh, if the, the water level gets too high, all dams are, are built in, have a built-in safety switch, huh. uh, or safety mechanism of some sort. Uh, hmm. For example, Monticello Dam, uh, which is not too far from me, uh, operates on a glory hole system. Yes, I, that's actually mm-hmm. what it's called. Uh, basically, there's there's like a, a sink mm-hmm. uh, that's technically lower than the highest level of the dam, but if the water level gets high enough, it'll basically it'll drain some of the water. Mm-hmm. I have been trying to find out where that water goes, but mm-hmm. I have not been able to find it. Yeah. So anyways, so they're like, they're about uh, so they're basically flooding the river. The dam cracks and like, but the Decepticons don't care. They just want energy on. Uh, the Autobots detect that it's go- uh, going, so they come from Teletramon, So they head to the Sherman Dam to fight. And there's a bunch of battling. The most notable thing is Optimus and Me- and uh, Megatron fighting on top of the dam using energy melee weapons. Specifically, Optimus Prime gets an axe. Megatron gets gets a mace. This scene is like not even like a minute. And because it's an '80s cartoon, they don't really hit each other with themselves most of it. It's like, it's like when uh, it's like the problem in like you know He Man has a sword, but he can't really use his sword, so he just shoots lasers out of it most of the time. The Dinobots will have similar problems when they show up. The um was was that because of like censorship rules or something? Yeah, like I'm pretty sure there were rules that like you could have a sword, but you're not allowed to like hit anyone with it. Well, um, Optimus does basically like. Face smack Megatron with his axe. Well, they they swing and like uh, Megatron clubs and knocks him off the dam. Yeah, no, but like, yeah, they basically get into a slap fight. Honestly, right? Yeah, they they, they don't. I don't think they actually hit each other with uh, any of the actual weapon parts of their right. weapons. But yeah, they they basically just start slapping each other a little bit until Megatron uh, pushes him off the off the, into the water. Yeah, this scene is like for some reason super iconic. There have been so many like Optimus Prime toys that either come with an with an energy axe or just an axe accessory. 
Like uh, not to mention, uh, the movie Optimus Prime has a has an Energon act built in too. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, it happens so much, but it's like again, it's featured in a lot of the marketing. I had uh, this will probably betray my age even more than normal. Do you remember viewfinders? Yes. I remember having viewfinder reels for Transformers, and I remember one of them was yeah, and one of them was from the, was that scene with them fighting on the bridge. So I remember like thinking like, oh man, they must be something that they do all the time. They only do that in this episode. <laughs> oh, they, they they didn't fight on a bridge, but they did face off each other, uh, face off against each other yeah. in the movie. Uh, you know, okay, so here's the weird thing. Uh, we we had a. Or, me and my cousins, like, we, we had a viewfinder. We had no reels. We didn't actually know what it was for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we were like, what is this thing? Like, we knew we were supposed to look through it, but right. we didn't know what the heck it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Later on, found out that you need, like, a film reel for those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we always wondered what the Switch was for, honestly. Yep. Yeah. The other two notable things the Autobots do is, uh, as, uh, Ironhide and Bumblebee try to divert the water by Bumblebee gets in the back of Ironhide. So again, another thing of just like Transformers of similar sizes getting inside of each other. And oh, he, we should mention he gets inside of him in robot mode, right? Which like scale problems, he yeah. should definitely be too tall for. Yes, and uses a cannon, which I think is actually based on uh, uh, Ironhide's actual robot mode. For those who aren't familiar, mm-hmm. so like Ironhide and Ratchet are, the, are based on the same toy and transform like a kind of full-sized van that they put lights on so that, like, Ratchet's an ambulance into, like, mm. a robot like the rest of them. The actual toys, it's basically you have a two-part, you have, like, a kind of, like, mecha th- part you have and a base that forms out of it. You only ever get to see it, like, in this episode. And us in, like, the third one when Ratchet transforms, you see, you briefly see the other part of him there, but they rarely ever touch that. That's... Grow out of leftovers because they were based off the Diaclone line, where they were supposed to be just piloted robots instead of intelligent robots. Oh. Anyways, but yeah, the point is, like, they drive ahead. And even though Ironhide, I think, is canonically supposed to be one of the slower Autobots, they stay well ahead of the water and, like, cut, like, channels to, like, drain off the water so it doesn't get the various, like, people who seem to be living in the valley. This... This show doesn't really... doesn't really show many people. Like, you see, no. you mostly see, like, construction workers. It's also kind of, after, like, so much of the Bay fiction, it's also kind of weird to be, like, the U.S. military doesn't really ever get involved or called upon <laughs> throughout all of yeah. this. Yeah. Um, also, a question for you. Do, do Spike and Sparkplug wear those uniforms like the rest of the series? Yes. Okay, that, that's what I thought, because I've, I've, I've seen... Uh, I've, I think I've seen toys of, of Spike, at least, and he's wearing kind of the same clothes. Yep. Always wearing those clothes, always wearing those yellow work boots. Mm. Alright, um, oh, speaking of Spike, the other the other plot is, uh, Hound goes to stop Rumble in the water, and eventually, like, Spike goes down to save him, even though, like, Hound is a robot, he can't drown, and he nearly drowns going out there, and we get a very unfortunate-looking scene of Hound, like, pushing the water out of Spike from behind while he's lying on a thing, just like, that is not a very- no one thought about that when they put in that scene. I I must have been looking down to make a note. Was he poking him where I think he was poking him? Well, like, it's basically like, like, Spike is laying down on a one, and, like, Hound is, like, pushing him on his back, and you can't really see their waist. Like, okay. it's... Like, out of context, it looks kind of bad. 
Yeah. I'm actually shocked that's not. Oh, here we go. <laughs> of course, TF Wiki's got my back for a ca- for a picture of that. <laughs> Let's see it. Was it in the uh, in the episode page? No, no, no. Oh, no, no. I posted that into the chat. Oh. Yeah, because it's not on the More Than Meets the Eye episode, but it's on Hound's page. I was actually shocked that it wasn't on, like, the More Than Meets the Eye episode page. Let me see here. I thought I, uh, it should be in the chat. Don't see it now. Let me post it again. Are those not popping up? No, I don't know why. I'm I'm going to the hound uh, page though. Hold on. Yeah, it's it's pretty on there. Like, <sighs> oh, him holding him. Oh wait, yeah, no, yeah specifically his Gen One cartoon page. Uh, I see him. Come okay. on, hangouts. Uh, this is why you're getting replaced. <laughs> oh yeah, there it is. <laughs> yep. I, I, honestly, like the uh, the the only part that you, that kind of makes us look bad is, is Spike's face. Yes. <laughs> So yeah, that happens. Uh-huh. Using a slingshot for some reason. Nope. Yeah. Also, side note, uh, I believe, like, uh, obviously, uh, obviously Optimus Prime is being voiced by the, uh, by Peter Cullen, of course. But in this particular episode, it's like, like, he, I believe, I remember what the source of inspiration is, like, his brother and John Wayne. He is extremely John Wayne in a lot of these episodes, particularly this scene. Like, he is so close to just saying, like, do you feel lucky, punk? <laughs> or Clint Eastwood, sorry. Or is it Quentin Eastwood? He, you know, they kind of blended together in my mind. I, I feel like the voice was more John Wayne, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, but then I did a d- Dirty Harry thing, which is like, wait, that's actually Clint Eastwood. That's not John Wayne. I, I can see some Clint Eastwood mannerisms in there. You're right, but the, right. Uh, as far as the voice goes, yeah, John Wayne. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> funny, funny moment I thought was uh, after Rumble like comes out of the river, like Spike tackles him. Yeah. <laughs> Rumble does not care. Yeah. So uh, yeah, he, he actually just yeah. After he comes out, he asks like, "Where's the Hound?" And Rommel just like knocks him over. Yeah. So Optimus gets knocked into the river. Jazz saves him with the Gratmo. So uh, Autobots, they're zero for two so far in terms of stopping the Decepticon. Yeah. They're not doing a very good job. Nope. Uh. So later, later on, like when after the Autobots have saved the dam and everything, and the people around, uh, mm-hmm. they head back to base. Uh, I forgot. I forgot who he was talking to, but some, someone's worried about uh, fighting them because they're not uh, they're not fighters like the Decepticons. Oh yeah, uh, I think it's. I want to say it's it, it's it's Huffer. I think because like yeah. Huffer is like transformed to a small truck, although you wouldn't know it from say. But he's also kind of whiny. That's kind of his character trait. Mm. So kind of like going into lore that like of the show that the. Uh, the Autobots were kind of like service vehicles, and while the Decepticons were 
for a war vehicle. Something that doesn't really get explored in this, but does get explored in some other Gen 1 stuff. Yeah, I'm assuming, like, post Five Faces of Darkness. Yeah. Uh, the reason why I was bringing that up is because uh, we get another epic uh, Optimus line. Uh, we must have courage. We cannot ignore the danger. We must conquer it. Yep. So, so uh, anyway. but, Oh, yeah. So then we have the Decepticon scene where the Decepticon's like, we almost have enough energy to get to Cybertron. We just need one more raid. But then Starscream goes and screws things up by, like, testing the cubes by blasting a cliff. <laughs> and Megatron gets mad. And it's just like, why do you do this? It's like, this is like he's like it works. He's like of course it works, you fool. <laughs> he's like you, you didn't know, you didn't test it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is when I was like, spite lout, you idiot. Yeah, yeah. So then the German they have they must do two more energy raids to get enough energon to power up their ship and get back to Cybertron. I can't help wondering like how much energon they're using up with all these raids. Actually, yeah, probably setting them back a little bit. Anyways, the uh. Yeah, anyways, their next thing is going to go to the Ruby Crystal Mines of Burma. Fortunately for the Autobots, they were overhearing them with uh, Trailbreaker, who was there with, like, Spike and Sparks, who were just, like, having coffee? <laughs> they must have just... Well, they're on a stakeout. Yeah. You gotta, uh, they must have just gotten hungry. Yeah. I mean, like, there isn't really a need for them to be there when you think about it, particularly, like, they are kind of in danger. And they end up in danger as uh, laser beak as the Decepticons attack them and send laser beak after them. Well, or, actually, oh no, actually they sorry they send the seekers after them. They're uh, they did give an explanation for why they're they have they're there though. Uh, earlier when after Optimus rescues them at the oil, the drilling platform, uh, they did uh, he did say like it's too dangerous for the only ones that can stop the Decepticons. Hmm. But Sparkplug does say like well we know the area though. So they must have gone with Trailbreaker to to find a spot they could listen on. Okay, I'll accept that for now. Yeah. But yeah, so they get chased back for Seekers, and then we get a chance for, like, the twins, Sunstreaker, and Sideswipe to show off. Mm-hmm. And they basically force the Deceptive to retreat. Yeah. So, um, they find out that they're going to the, the mine, uh... <coughs> the Ruby Crystal this... Mines of Burma. So, Dow, yes. before we go further, I must, I have to ask you. So, the, do you... So, do you think that A, they are actually going to Burma to find ruby crystal mines, or B, they're going to someplace in the country that happens to be called Burma that has ruby crystal mines? And C, do you think you can actually get energy out of, like, ruby crystals? That's not really what they're known for. I, I just choose to believe that they're somehow converting matter into energy. Yeah. They, they just need matter. Actually, I forgot, like, or do you think, or is the weirdest thing the fact that we find out Sparkplug used to work in these mines? I'd say, yeah, that is the weirdest thing. I was going to bring that up. Yeah. Um, Sparkplug used to work in these mines. They're, they're for sure not in Burma. Right. I, I, I think they were describing the crystals. This makes zero sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, it has, like, the same desertscape background we've seen in all of these episodes. There's nothing, there's no people here. <laughs> <laughs> nothing to give any, co- like, if you contact that this is, in fact, in Burma. You know, I, I choose to believe that uh, Megatron sees the humans as, uh, be- uh, like, below his... He sees them not wor- uh, not worth any kind of trouble, so he doesn't like uh, take them hostage or anything. He just comes in, terrorizes them, and makes them leave. Yeah. Uh, that's the ex- that's the only explanation. Yeah, 
So anyways, they, they go... Uh, the Autobots arrive outside. Because this is their time to get rid of the Zeptons by uh, Wheeljack, who, uh, we didn't really go over it. Wheeljack's gimmick in this show is that he is, like, the mad scientist inventor. Yeah. And he transforms into, I forget, a, a it's a race car. I forget the exact model of car. And, but he gives them a, uh, ex- he gives a, uh, explosive to, uh, Bumblebee, since he is the smallest, and technically his job is espionage. And Sparkball goes with him since he knows these mines because, like, as stated before, he worked in them. Question mark. I, but th- uh, just going off the shape of it, just imagine eighties Ferrari this white. That's basically what he looks like. I mean, he's based on like pretty much all of the original Autobots are actually based on real cars, including and some of them have actual actual real race decos, which has actually got them in some legal trouble for like issues. Like we didn't mention this, Mirage turns into a uh, a uh, Formula One car, which is based on an actual one, and I think he has it has fake Citron logos, which was the actual sponsor for that particular model of car. Uh oh, yeah, because since again, these were created in Japan in the eighties, which was sometimes had very loose uh, that had loose interpretations of international copyright law. Yeah, um, I'm. Sh- I feel like they. With you know large companies like Sony being based out of Japan nowadays, uh, they wouldn't be uh, th- they wouldn't be okay with that anymore. Oh, for real? Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's technically a Lancia Stratos Turbo, which is de- like an Italian uh, sports car. Yeah. Uh, so they they get inside to try to plant the bomb, but they actually are caught by Skywarp and Thundercracker. Uh-huh. Uh, Optimus gets antsy and uh, goes in a- after them with. Rolly, right? Roller. Roller, yeah. yeah. He's a little car that comes out of the back of, like, a trailer and has R2-D2 noises. There's actually several times where they use, like, sound clips that are very clearly from Star Wars. This is one of the more blatant ones. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was expecting, like, at least one reference to Star Wars in this thing. Yeah. Also, I think we left out the most important part of this. During all of this thing is going on with the bomb, it only has a 60-second timer. Well, they're supposed that, that, to, you know, set it off and run. Yeah. They're, but, like, Agnes says, like, it's been too long, so I must go investigate. Again, knowing that there's a 60-second timer, and he goes all the way up to it in the mine to let up Roller. And you know this because when it explodes, he just goes tumbling down the mountainside. And that's where this episode ends. Yeah. Uh, so, James, you're going to have to take over for the rest of the recap. Okay. Alright, so, we're in More Than Meets the R.I., Part 3. I can't do a Victor Kaioli uh, narration, who is the uh, the narrator for all of Gen 1, who has a very distinctive, like, and now, next time on Transformers. Oh, on the no, Transformers. No one can replace that th- this voice yeah. right here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, so, after we open up, Optimus Prime is tumbling down the mountainside. The Autobots help him to his feet, and he slowly transforms into robot mode. And before he actually thinks to check on, like, Bumblebee Strikes, he's like, oh, is Roller okay? And Roller comes out and, like, gets into his show. Like, yeah, Roller, you're super important. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, then they go and dig out Bumblebee and Sparkplug. So initially they celebrate, like, yeah, this, they take it out of the Septicon. They, of course, blast out of the cave and take to the air. They're in a John Hall, unscathed. Uh, Autobots, uh, bat, uh, 0 for 3 so far. But of course, Ironhide's mad. He's not going to take any more. So he takes off into the air to follow. 
followed by Blue Streak, who, uh, Blue Streak is a, uh, I think a, ah, crap, I, I should know the number of the car. He's like, a, he's like a, uh, he's basically a sports car. He is technically the, a, a recolor of Prowl, although not a cop car. Ah, so yeah, a, a Datsun, a Datsun, uh, Fair Lady Z is what the car is. Lots of, like, vintage cars and some of the characters. Anyways, they go flying after it, and we also get one of my favorite animation errors, where they keep cutting between scenes of, like, uh, different cells of, Optim- of Ironhide with a, with a gun on his back, and in mid-scene, they switch to a cell that is slightly different perspective where he doesn't have it. And they keep doing this back and forth until they have, like, a scene where he, he gets the gun out of his back that is also drawn from a different angle. It's like, what kind of communication failure happened in the animation department? <laughs> It is rid- ridiculously embarrassing. It is ridiculous. Yeah, I remember the first time I watched this ep- this on an ad- as an adult. Like I, there was a uh, tape being sold at my at a blockbuster video that uh, <laughs> that had like been like, oh man, I'm so excited! I haven't watched anything except the movie for a while. And like, I remember seeing this like, oh, the animation. This is really bad. It's worse than I remember. That sentence was a time capsule of its own. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, sorry, you, you said for, you said first time you watched it as uh, as an adult at a yeah. blockbuster video and video. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Anyways, they shoot one of the Septicon Sky Warp, which is only notable because he can teleport, though has to ask for, for permission to teleport first. Why not just do it? Anyways, he shoots Ironhide down, and he gets taken into Ratchet's repair bay. So again, another sense of like a transformer getting inside of another transformer, even though. They are the same size. Was that the um? J- just oh, sorry, d- doubling back for just a second. Was uh-huh. The VHS copy was that um? That was an actual VHS copy of the yeah. of the episodes. Okay, yeah. I just found the home video releases. That was just. I think that was just the uh, the three parter we're watching here. Yeah, I think I think the copy I had had the three parts because it was a later release, so it would be the. Oh, actually, sorry, I didn't realize that. So there actually was a 2001 release uh, exclusively from Blockbuster by Rhino Entertainment. Yeah, that would That's... have been the one where I think it had it had these ones, and I think like a couple random Dinobot episodes. Hmm. I'll probably confirm that later, but that's not yeah. important. Sure. Anyways. <laughs> so yeah, they get shot down, and the Autobots return to base, and they try to decide what what can they do? Is this like, we need to... They try to, they try to decide what they can do to try to get the edge on the Decepticon. So we get a scene where Hound is taunting a captive rap, Ravage who's in a cave and like talking about like, oh, you're not important because Megatron hasn't come back to get you and then creates a hologram to goad him because that's a Mara- sorry Hound special ability. He can create hologram. But then he has an idea that he pitches to Optimus Prime to create a giant hologram to lure the Decepticons into a trap. So, in order to bait this... So, okay, so... This is very important to follow the steps of this plan. So, Hound goes to Optimus Prime and says, Hey, we should let Ravage escape and create a fake thing. So, actually, he doesn't say that part. So then, we cut to Hound talking to Mirage about a report from Teletran 1 about a secret supply of rocket fuel saying this clearly by, by Ravage, and saying, like, wow, there's enough to, fuel to make four trips back to Cybertron. So as they walk away, Hound is accidentally drops the key to Ravage's cave. So he grabs it and escapes. So 
All right, so if you're following, Hound came up with a plan to create a fake base and presumably to leak this information to Ravage. So you have all the Autobots, including Hound and Mirage, going on top of saying, Ravage escaped, to which Optimus says, good. And then we cut back to them who all have, like, stunned expressions on their face. Even though this is a plan that they're following the plan that they created. That Hound probably specifically created, too. Yes. It is very dumb. <laughs> and, granted, it, it doesn't stop getting dumber there. So we... It do, their their dumbfounded expressions though does uh, lend to the fact that they probably ju- did just get a, a finished script mm. and that's all they got. Yep. Um, also, probably a different uh, probably a different animator from that scene to this scene. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, we cut back to Decepticon base where they're playing cassette, and I think this is technically the only time Ravage actually talks. Mm. They're playing the tape, and a voice speaks, and that's supposed to be Ravage. Anyways, Megatron gloats that they're that they'll need to get this to get back to Cybertron. So, uh Starscream, and perhaps the first of many betrayals, tries to shoot Megatron in the back, who <laughs> This is a weird bit. Megatron deflects it by pulling up like an energy shield. And then Starscream like says that he has spent all of his ammunition in a single shot. Which uh bad planning on you, Starscream. <laughs> Sorry, Screamer. So Megatron shows mercy by only shooting him on the in the arm, <laughs> to which Mega like Starscream comes like literally groveling on his knees. Or Megatron says we attack the base at sunrise. So, okay. So Autobot plan so far: create hologram. So Hound creates a giant hologram. That's good. But then the Autobots like disguise themselves in lab coats. To fall off the thing? <laughs> Where do they get giant lab coats? It's... Holograms? I mean, maybe? I don't know if holograms work that way. I don't know if this show knows how holograms work. Oh, they for sure don't, but, yeah. I mean, like, Occam's Razor, easiest explanation is, they're hologram lab coats. Yeah. Anyway, so they fight finding Decepticons and punching them and see them break apart, and which reveals that they're actually junk. Because, yes, Megatron... I guess, I don't know if this is supposed to be a commentary on the plan or if, like, Megatron being a master schemer, but he saw through their plan and sent the rest of the Decepticons to the actual rocket base. So, but I guess did actually come because he wanted to gloat and let them know that they were, that they did badly. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like Megatron. Yeah. So anyways, long story short, the, like, uh, Autobots, uh, 0 for 4, and the Decepticons are ready to blast back off the Ivatron. So... We get, like, a grim scene where Optimus telling, like, we only have one more, ch- we have, like, one more shot. Take them out. I'll only ask for volunteers. And, of course, everyone steps forward because, you know, heroic moment. And it, and so they all transformed and roll out. Although, weirdly, not a sign, not a thing that actually gets said in this episode. And, in fact, Jazz actually gives them a trans to, like, like transform. So, again, weird thing in the pilot. Like, that iconic line you always remember Prime saying doesn't actually say it in this episode. I mean, uh, the, what's, um, what's his name? Uh, Darth Vader never actually said, Luke, I'm your father. Uh-huh. But he will say uh, Transform and Roll Out, just not in this episode. Yeah, no, I'm just saying that a lot of people probably remember him saying that in this episode. Yep. Yeah. 
Anyways, so they head to, like, the Autobots base, and there is a quick battle that doesn't actually do anything. They they end up flying off into the sky. Optimus refuses to get to fate. He orders Sideswipe to hand over his rocket pack, because that is a thing Sideswipe has. Just roll with it. Yeah. So Prime takes off to chase the cruiser. Starscream sees him, and the cruiser just blasts him out of the sky. So, uh, not really his best plan. Mm. So they're just like, well, I guess we've completely lost, until they notice Mirage is missing. So then we go back outside the cruiser for, like, Starscream making one more chance to, like, ambush Megatron. We also wish you get a good exchange from them. Uh, uh, this might be a... I forget what this is, like, I am the leader of the future! You couldn't lead ant droids to a picnic! How could you pretend to lead the Decepticon? I think that was actually... Did you notice the trend of uh, Starscream and Optimus both implying Megatron's old? Yes. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Like, well, sort of. Anyways, so then later it says, beware. I think at this point where, like, Starscream has the drop on Megatron, he doesn't have his fusion cannon... He says, and Megatron says, like, beware, Starscream, you dispose of me. There will always be someone waiting to dispose of you. Let them try. I've waited for this long time. Well, what a long time, Megatron. My time is now. Uh, it doesn't happen. Because, because, uh, Mirage drops his invisibility, takes a few ships at, shots at the ship controls. Which, of course, means that the ship is starts going catastrophically wrong. Uh, Megatron takes advantage to, like, fire, to get his gun to fire on Starscream. But of course, you know, again, he shot the control panel in a spaceship. You know what happens in shows. That causes the whole thing to crash. Yeah. Oh, you said Megatron was without his, uh, his fusion cannon. Yes. So, at this point, it's not attached to his arm? Yes. Okay. But he picks it up during the chaos to shoot Starscream and then tries shooting at, at Mirage. So, yeah, the the Decepticons lose control of the ship, and it crashes into the ocean. The Autobots, like, stare, like, wondering what the heck happened when Mirage parachutes down. Mm. And perhaps we get, like, the actual best line of this, where uh, Mirage's character trait is he really wants to get back to Cybertron. So Optimus says, like, we knew you were anxious to get back to Cybertron, but at least you could have waited for us. (laughs) Sorry, Prime, the ship was full. And that's where you get, like, your 80s, like, laugh line of, like, everyone chuckling at the end. Uh, so, also, I'm not sure that the... Fi- uh, so, I, um, it's been a couple of weeks since I saw part three. Um, right. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure the physics would work out with a gigantic robot parachuting down. Yeah, he has, like, a parachute that kind of looks like the parasol kind, where it's, like, a thin line instead of, like, a full mushroom. Oh, what, what I associate with, uh, with Tommy's parachute from the 95 Power Rangers movie instead of, right. like, everyone else had a mushroom. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry about that. Also, did he need a parachute? I thought they all could fly. <laughs> I went logic. What are you... Why did Optus... I, like, I guess a rocket pack theory would be faster than normal flying, so I'll allow that. So anyways, we close out with Spike uh, doing the narration thing, writing in his journal again and doing a narration. Also something that's only a pilot-only thing. Talk about, like, because the Autobots stopped the Decepticons from stealing the Earth's resources, the governments of the world decided to give Optimus Prime the energy needs to revitalize Cybertron. 
which that might be the most unbelievable element to the element is that thing. This came out in 1984 at the height of the Cold War. Yes. No. <laughs> also, like, did the did the rest of the world like know that these going on? Like, keep in mind they've only seemed to be operating in this very limited area of the United States and maybe also Burma. We don't know for sure. I'm pretty sure, like, if this actually happened in 1984, and they, like, showed their presence to the governments of Earth, at least one of them would have gotten kidnapped so they can reverse engineer them. Like, we we would have had an Iron Giant layer going on. This is, like, when the Earth military actually show up, they're, like, Godzilla levels of useless. Hmm. Well, I mean, having watched the recent death battle between Dragonzord and Mechagodzilla, like... Godzilla military did create Mecha Godzilla. Yeah, they never get one quite that good. Yeah. Anyways, so yeah, they talk about how like, oh, also like Spike and Spark are going to ride on the trip to the Transformers homeworld. But then we cut to the bottom of the ocean because I think like Spark Plug says something, Spike says like, and we'll never see the Decepticons again. To which like like the ship opens up and Megatron fly flies out. And that's the end of the more that meets the eye pilot. Oh, I just realized. So that must be where they got the inspiration for uh, Bayverse Two when uh, they revived revived him from the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who voiced? I'm just trying to remember who voiced uh, Spike actually back in the day. Corey Burton. Oh, okay. I forgot. Oh, yeah. You mentioned that earlier. Hmm? Okay. Um, yeah. So. What what so I guess first question is like what did you think of a uh, of a raw unfiltered generation one Transformers? You know, I, I, I heard about eighties cartoons being kind of loose with their continuity, but th- did not expect this. Yeah. That's the main thing I gotta say, yeah. Yeah. Uh but, uh <laughs> They definitely did some uh, some pruning, like between this and the next and the actual series. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah, they did. Yeah, uh, I still can't believe they made the, like all the Decepticons have the ability to fly. Uh-huh. Actually, um, since you mentioned like Megatron, uh, would you rather have him fly the pistol? You know, what would be cool to see, which I realize they for sure did not do in Gen One. Uh, him using his fusion cannon as a rocket booster. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, something I, uh, I just thought about. Does Megatron ever use this pistol up mode in this episode? I'm not sure if he does or not. He, not in this episode. He did in, uh, I think, episode one, one or two? Oh, uh, yeah. I think yeah, I think they might have transformed the gun to either blast the oil platform or blast the Sherman Dam. I can't remember. When. I think it was when... No, I think it was when the Autobots first showed up. Uh, Starscream is shooting him. Which, also, I just realized... That is the perfect opportunity to take out Megatron. You'd think that, right? Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, in, he's in your hand. Like, you, at the very least, you can cr- destroy his fusion cannon. Yeah. Like, I think 90% of the time when, uh, when Megatron transforms into, like, web mode and there's a Decepticon to grab him, it's almost always Starscream. Just very weird. Like, you think it would be, like, I don't know, Soundwave. Someone, like, loyal to him. Yeah. Uh, so the 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 mad scientist aspect of Shockwave is that ever introduced in G one? Never. Okay. Um, from w- uh, so I actually worked with a I had a manager who knew, uh, grew up with Transformers. Uh, we actually 
uh, he actually showed the original movie to his son when it came out on Blu-ray. Um, and we actually talked about Shockwave. Uh, is he really ever seen outside of the like the one few frames we get of him in the movie? There are some there are some episodes in uh in later seasons that take place on Cybertron where he actually does do stuff. So even when the Autobots and Decepticons re, uh, regain contact with Cybertron, mm. he still stays on Cybertron. With the with the one exception, there's one episode where he's on a brief scene on Earth, but I think it's more of an animation error because they were just because it's just his animation model on screen, mm, like okay. it was them like copying and pasting stuff. Now I will say the idea of like Cybertron, like like Shockwave being like a schemer and stuff, that is actually introduced pretty early, but it happens in the comics, not the show. Mm. Like in the uh, the comics, which kind of follow the same trajectory of like. Autobots trying to fight the Decepticons and them like losing and gaining energy only to be like taken out at the last second. That kind of happens in the comic, but the comic actually ends with all of the Autobots getting blown away by Shockwave showing up. So that which blends into the uh, next issue of the comic has a very famous cover of the tran. It has like the Transformers logo and it has like scored in with like Shockwave's gun are all dead. And the comics played him as a is basically. Like evil Mr. Spock. Cool. And, like he's very logical, and I and that characterization, I think that one is the one that really comes into more modern interpretations of Shockwave. Wait, you mean this one? This one you talking about? Yes. Okay. The Transformers are all dead. Yeah. Uh, which that is just his biopic for the G1 Shockwave on, I mean, on TF Wiki. Nothing better. Yeah. But yeah, he doesn't do too much. But it uh, kind of like gives some context of why we watched this one, aside from just like laughing at bad animation, is because like there's a lot of stuff that ends up being used in later episodes. I think we mentioned it with the uh, Beast Wars pilot, how they accidentally kind of like uh, kind of pillaged a lot of stuff from here. But you have a similar idea of like you know two cruisers fighting in space, crash landing on onto a planet, which just so happens to be Earth in both ones, although they don't know at the beginning. And then taking forms in order to blend in, and then re- restarting their war. Well, they're uh, actually wait, they uh, they since you mentioned that they actually mm-hmm. took more from G one than you just even realized uh, mm-hmm. because they didn't actually take uh, the G one didn't take all forms to blend in. That was them repairing, so kind of for their. For their health, say, is kind of the cause for both all uh, all forms. Oh, kind of. I think in, like, like the show itself and in other media, it specifies that they did vehicles that, that Teletron 1 identified vehicles as the local life form because they had not identified, you know, they'd never dealt with organics before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's what, my, that's what the ultimate guide did say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just going on, just going from the episode, it, it appeared like, Maybe they needed to be reformatted, for lack of a better term, in order to be revived. Yeah. yeah. Well, granted, reformatted in loose quotes because they still have their, they still clearly look at their Earth vehicles in robot mode, even though, yeah, even when the few of them that do actually get Cybertron vehicle mode. happen okay 
Okay, back on. Um, can you say something just so you can mark it on your recording? And we're back. Cool. Um, what were they saying? Uh, uh, we were talking about elements that kind of like that kind of paralleled each other between Beast Wars and this Lord uh, Meets the Eye. Okay. Oh no! Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, and we're back. Okay. Um, I'll find out what I, I'll cut that part yeah. that I was talking out. I don't remember what it was. It must not mm-hmm. that important. Uh, what were you talking about just before okay. that? My, so my I was talking there. about like how a lot of the how there are a lot of ones that get repeated in various other Transformer cartoons. With Beast Wars had a similar like fight against space. Uh, in Transformers uh-huh. Prime, they would they would well they wouldn't do that, but they would have them like being in like out in the Badlands initially by themselves. Uh, they oh, animated yeah. would also kind of had also has them like having an encounter in space and crash landing on Earth, though not for though they don't take nearly as long to awaken. Like these, did wait? Did that happen in animated? I thought they're they're um. It's technically after the Great War yeah. and Autobot and Optimus and his team are space bridge right, repair but team, like, right? They, like uh, I guess spoilers for animated. It, it, like it happens in the first open. Oh, they find the Allspark. Megatron's team finds them. He tries to take the Allspark forcibly for them, and they manage to defeat him, blast him out an airlock, but their ship ends up crashing onto Earth. Oh, okay. Like I think they they uh, they accidentally right. do a space jump and end up somewhere and like just crashing unknown onto Earth. Hmm. All right. Um. So since uh before the computer goes kill my computer completely, we should probably get uh yeah. wrap up then. Yeah. Yeah. Plus we're over an hour. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I thought we All were right. just gonna do like a sixty um, cent so summary of the plot, but we ended up saying a lot more than I thought. Because, like, yeah. <laughs> really, the plot of it is, like, they they wake up on Cyrotron, like, they, they're on Cyrotron, they leave, crash and Earth, wake up, and then the Autobots lose a bunch of them, stopping them to get Energon, until the Decepticons crash. There's not a lot of plot yeah. in these, like, three episodes. Yeah, no, I, I think it was, like, halfway through the second episode before I realized, like, I'm, I'm taking way too many detailed notes. This is, like, there's not right. actually a lot happening. There are, there are like, yeah. actual, like, good episodes of, like, that I recommend watching, just because, like, they actually have a plot, or they're, like, just kind of funny in a dumb way. Yeah, like, Dawn of the Primitives. Yeah, Dawn of the Primitives. Primitives, Megatron's Master Plan. uh, Arise Atlantis. Microbots. Uh, Don't watch (laughs) Bot, even though, like, it has, like, a great concept. Huh. Maybe, maybe if we come back and we have time, we'll revisit some other ones. Though, like, I don't think we're we. I think there's unless unless we like got like regular guests. I don't think we'd ever want to do all of, of Generation One. No, like that would that would take too long. I feel like we'd get bogged down. And as much as it's beloved, I don't as think said, we like can if take we had it. guests, it would be regular guests. It'd be easier. Yeah. 
But like, there's like yeah. 49 episodes in season two alone. 30 in season uh, season three, yeah. and 16 in the first. Yeah, back back when they back when they could pump uh-huh. them out that fast. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, and technically three episodes of season four. Oh. Can't forget that. <laughs> if you're counting it, yeah. Um, so any final thoughts? Uh, it is the original one show is not that good, but if you like can appreciate like campy '80s animation, it can be, still be fun to watch. You you actually might have me there because just I actually did watch some uh of the original mm-hmm. He Man and She Ra, and I was I, I yeah. was fine with it. Uh, I, I think they got away with it because they were mostly fantasy based, so you can. You you can yeah. kind of just forgive yeah. the inconsistencies. So definitely, I, definitely, yeah. I said I pretty sure I said this in Beast Wars, but I'll say it again. If not for Beast Wars, I don't think the series would be where it is now. That that is the show that kind of like took the concept and like ran with it in a much more interesting way. Yeah, oh, the, yeah, the limitations totally of like the exp- the the costly animation meant that they had a much smaller cast means that you actually have like character development on this. Like you'll get like. One are, like mm-hmm. like here's a here's an episode that centers on smokescreen, or here's an episode that centers on ears, but like there's no like larger context like to them. Well, actually mentioning that because of the limitations of ha- having to have a smaller cast, uh, but also needing to make new toys for every ye- every season, like uh, giving them new forms and new weapons and stuff is also a trope that yeah. carried onward. Uh. Like actually, there's toys for season two of Cyberverse that have already come out, uh, and th- some of them are just like giving new weapons mm-hmm. to the characters. Actually, mentioning that, uh, so in season one of Cyberverse, uh, within the current time period that uh, the the show takes place, because there's a, every episode has a flashback. Uh, you actually, I don't know about Megatron, but you for sure do not mm-hmm. see Optimus until right. like the last episode. Uh, because he, you know, he's still in, he's still asleep in the ark along with most of the other Autobots. But there were for sh- there's for sure a, quite a few Optimus mm-hmm. toys out there. Yeah, uh, so I guess yeah. they just based it off of the, yeah. the time, the background. Uh, yeah. Oh, I the can't flashbacks. believe we also like talked about like we didn't really talk about the theme song, which is iconic, but like also, yeah, it, not it's, really present. It's definitely that '80s style. Like we're gonna explain the premise of of the show to you in it. And of course, oh, it it's also like a more basic version of the one I'm sure most people yeah. are familiar with, because all it really says is uh, like Transformers uh, more than meets the eye. Uh, Autobots fight the Decepticons. That's really it. Yeah, and of course, the scene transitions have the iconic symbol flip transition. Like if you've watched any bit of Gen One, you can probably hear that jingle in your head. I think that I think that went on and. Uh, at least until the oh one robots in disguise because I remember that I think that was present I think there. so I think they did add that in there yeah they I think they, I don't know if for the entire Unicron trilogy but uh, I I'm pretty sure it was also uh, in Cybertron yep yeah is that is that still I'm I'm trying to think if more recent series have had that or not I don't think they have nope. but it's, it's something I kind of wish would. would could have stuck around, but I don't uh-huh. think it would play nowadays. Um, okay, so we've been yeah. here for like an hour and a half. Uh, I'm sure you, <laughs> I'm sure you gotta get going. <laughs> All right. Um, should, I guess we'll go with the, yeah. the standard closeout then. All right. Um, so for whenever next episode is, 
uh, we're going on an extended hiatus, like we've mentioned before. Um, we, we, I have an idea for an April Fool's joke or April Fool's episode. Uh, you, we'll try to get that recorded in March, so you, uh, you can probably expect us in April. Uh, and after that, once I've gotten uh, a new computer and my, and I'm done with school for a bit, uh, we will be yeah. back. That's a Never promise. Never the end. <laughs> yeah, till <laughs> all are one. Right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Axon Archives. If you have any questions, want to guest on the show, or just want to talk about Beast Wars, you can reach us on Twitter at Axon Archives or by email at axonarchives at gmail.com. Uh, part of the music used in this episode is Fat Planet by Leftfield and is copyright Leftfield. Fat Planet is used only for the purposes of discussion and no violation of co- international copyright law is intended. You can find the band on the web at leftfieldmusic.com and on Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud, Spotify, and iTunes by searching Leftfield, all one word. Uh, you can find our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, Podknife, Podbean, and a whole other bunch of places, including Stitcher and Spotify. We have closed the box on Pandora as James would say. Uh, <laughs> please leave a rating and a review, um, preferably on Apple Podcasts or Sp- uh, Podknife. Those are the two places I'm a- able to check most easily. Uh, it helps people find the show and uh, helps us grow an audience. Check out our website at axelon.buzzsprout.com. If you want to follow either of us individually on Twitter, I'm at Dowfac. I'm at Discord underscore Inc. Until next time, remember to transform and transcend your destiny. Let's get ready to make some noise.